guys, welcome to the Lane Foundations podcast. This is your co-host Davis Hambrick. Joining alongside me today is Walker Lott. How are you doing today, Walker? What's up, David? And this is our second podcast, dude. It's awesome. Yeah, we're rolling now, aren't we? Heck yeah, we're getting it going. Excited for today. Yeah, t- today, guys, I'm really excited for this opportunity. Um, we're getting to learn from a guy that is uh, very su- successful at a young age and someone I, I admired uh, getting to talk to. His name is Nick Chaplo. Nick is a Auburn University building science graduate and is a superintendent at JE Dunn. How are you doing today, Nick? Great. How are you guys doing? And doing fantastic, dude. We are really excited to have you on today. Excited to learn from you. Heck yeah. Well, I just want to start by saying I'm really excited about what y'all are doing and uh, excited to hopefully learn something from me. I don't know if it's going to be anything you didn't learn in college, but uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, bro, always learn more outside of school. I've learned that in my life. School gives you a good foundation, but I have learned drastically more by being in the field or talking to people who have done it. That's valid, yeah. But Definitely. hey, just to get started, man, you know, yeah. as we introduce, we, we know your name, we know your company, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, give us a basic breakdown. I know you went to Auburn, but how'd you get to JE Dunn? You know, what do you do there? Where are you located? What project are you on? Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah, so uh, started with J.E. Dunn back in May of 2017, uh, so I've been with them just over three and a half years, and uh, kind of knew off, off the get-go I wanted to be a superintendent. Um, I know sometimes people kind of try to wait and figure it out a year or two into the profession, but I've kind of always grew up being hands-on, uh, on my own kind of handyman, fix-it-up service in, in college, kind of to make money on the side, and just always grew up doing projects with people around, uh, you know, around my hometown in Alabama. Um, and, and just really found a passion for that, really enjoyed, you know, serving others and, and kind of found that as a niche and it, it just kind of took off and, and, you know, honestly didn't learn about being a superintendent and even know what that was until I got to college, realized that civil engineering wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, cause I got a D in calculus one, uh, I never hear they changed the curriculum at Auburn now. So I might have a, I might have a hard time with the new, uh, new requirements, but, uh, and then, yeah, transitioned in. I've uh, been on three jobs so far with J.E. Dunn full-time. Um, worked in Nashville for the first year and a half, Miami for a year and a half, and then now I'm on a $200 million job in Atlanta um, as a superintendent. Got promoted to superintendent one uh, back in March, so about eight months into that role. Wow, congratulations, man. That is a huge Thanks. accomplishment, especially – how old are you, 26? 27, just turned 27. 27. God, yeah. man, that's awesome. What a great accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually in Nashville this past summer. So that was awesome. a cool city, and I it's interned. A fun city. You what? It's a fun city. You kind of you kind of learn to get away from Broadway, you know. Yeah, I went. I think I walked just up and down the street like once <laughs> to say I've been on it before because it's exactly. in the era of COVID right now, and so there's you know nothing open, and no one's out. But it was cool to say that I've been there. Yeah, uh, but it's man, that's cool. Awesome, definitely. And uh, Nick, Nick, if you don't mind, would you be willing to kind of share us share with us the the traditional path of what it took to be a superintendent to what it is now today, at least from your standpoint. hundred percent. I mean, kind of, you know, we learn about it in college, like the, the traditional route, I guess, for kind of the guys we're learning from is that they were a foreman running a crew in the field, hands-on, you know, learn from their parents or just working on the farm or at their home growing up kind of similar how I did it, but even more extreme. And then they get fostered into being a superintendent from a, you know, carpenter foreman or a, a, a crew foreman to superintendent that's running the job instead of just a crew. Um, and that's kind of been the traditional path. 
Um, whereas now that there's an actual college education for superintendents and superintendents are realizing that they can get a college education, um, and, you know, PMs and uh, estimators don't need or the, the obvious ones you think of that would need a college education. But now superintendents is kind of a standard that we need a four or six year uh, degree uh, to, you know, to really be able to manage effectively and look at some of the, the technological sides of what we do. So, yeah, I mean, got in, um, knew I was going to do superintendent. And, and honestly, the biggest thing for me was getting internship experience in college before I um, before I started full time. I think I had five internships all out in the field, you know, kind of mixing, doing RFIs to middles. But the majority of it was getting my hands dirty, you know, getting muddy, you know, uh, having to plug a fire uh uh, sprinkler head after it blows in an existing building, you know, shoveling concrete, shoveling dirt, pouring concrete, you know, you name it. I've kind of been alongside the guys running crews and internships, and that really fostered full time um, being able to hit the ground running on, okay, this is what the guys do, and actually knowing what you're asking of the crews out in the field. So um, it was pretty, pretty great experience kind of getting into that and really realizing I, I wanted to be a part of that work. And then also once you learn it, manage that work. So um, that's kind of been the path for me, uh, still kind of the traditional path, but obviously with the college experience. And I think the biggest thing for our future is our future generations of construction is making sure that we get that field experience before you start trying to manage the work. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's a really good piece of advice. I yeah. think that, you know, so many people, especially nowadays, just want to jump right in there in, in a leadership role or in a position <laughs> where, you know, they have power over someone or they think that they know something but just from your experience you know like you were talking about just that being out there doing the dirty work like being with the guys I mean would you say that is about a hundred times more beneficial than being in the classroom a hundred times and you know it you get power hungry I guess and you want that hundred thousand dollar job right off the bat and you think you're capable but when you make a twenty, thirty thousand dollar mistake because you assume the wrong thing and told someone to put something in wrong, and you should have asked the architect or should have consulted with the superintendent that's done it for fifteen years, you learn really quick that what we do is pretty humbling. I mean, you learn something every day. I have bosses that are sixty that learn something every day, and I have a long way to go, and I think I know a decent amount. Um, so yeah, that field experience, the mistakes that you occur on forming something wrong or having a small concrete blowout or putting something in incorrectly and having to take it out, that's minuscule. And you can learn real quick how, you know, kind of what we do and how meticulous you need to be uh, kind of early. And then you see the process and kind of how it's done. So it really is invaluable. And I'm, you know, I'm 27. I'm blessed to be in superintendent. I got some good experiences, but I would by no means say that I'm a more than qualified superintendent that could run a $50 million job. I mean, I might get the opportunity, but it doesn't mean that I'm ready for it. I don't think you're ever really ready for it. So. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick. Um, one of the things I really admire about you from our previous talks was, you know, you have the initiative and the, the hard work that it takes to, to really become a superintendent at 26. So definitely yeah. don't downplay yourself there, man. Um, so, <laughs> I appreciate it. So if you can, can we kind of backtrack and kind of talk about some of your internships? I know for me, um, you kind of talked about how, you know, you, you knew what you wanted to be that you wanted to be that superintendent from your internships. And for me, similar, similarly, I wanted to be a superintendent from my internship experience. Tell me a little bit about maybe some of the opportunities or lessons learned you had from those in internships. Oh gosh. I mean, so my I'm trying to think my first internship, 
uh, was with McCarthy up in Chattanooga. And it was interesting. It was my first uh, job with the GC. And uh, it was from the ground up. So setting up the office trailer, didn't have, you know, anyone on site kind of to help with paperwork or setting up the plans. I was literally mopping the floors before OEC meetings, um, you know, setting up the projector, setting up all the plans, hyperlinking the drawings in Bluebeam, um, you know, initial submittals, initial RFI, shop drawing reviews, rebar checks. So literally had that opportunity and it was an interesting experience. It kind of was with the team that was really busy getting the ground running. So I was kind of on my own kind of learning how to do that stuff. Cause I'd never, I didn't even know what an RFI was. I wasn't even in the building science program yet. Um, and then did an internship with an electrical contractor in Birmingham. Um, just cause I wanted to know if, Hey, do I want to do a sub route or GC route? You know, so pull wire, you know, uh, for 277 and 120 um, lighting circuits and putting switch gears in and kind of learning what electricians do and how they do it. Uh, yeah. And then, and then that switch, I did a job with Robinson Morton down in Port St. Lucie, Florida for three months. And that was a really cool one. I, I got on, on with a, with a carpenter, his name was a Anthony Ramirez and then a, a superintendent his name was John LaCrone and love those guys. Like I'm still best friends with them. This is like five years later, six years later. And, uh, I mean, I did layout. So I actually used a total station um, with a data collector and learned northern and eastern, how to convert. You know, it's, it's funny how math is calculus and all this other stuff. But when you get into converting decimal feet to fractional feet and inches, forget about it. It's, <laughs> it really racks your brain trying to go from 16 or 12 to 16 and, and work it back. So learning that in college was humbling. I mean, it took me three months just to start to get some of the decimal feet, right? And, you know, you learn the 0.01 feet is, or 0.01 feet is an eighth of an inch. Yeah. So a hundredth of a foot is an eighth. Um, so you're about to lose us. You're about to lose us. Yeah. I know. yeah, I, so, yeah you lost, you lost me already. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was so humbling to like be with a carpenter doing a field engineer's job of actually laying out a building, laying out anchor bolts, laying out curves, um, you know, shooting elevation on columns and, and actually seeing that correct. And we only made like one minor mistake and it was an embed that's wrong. And that's an easy fix typically with, with the post installed uh, fix. So it was humbling to like see it, learn it, have someone that was over our shoulder doing the CAD work behind the scenes kind of help and then actually lay it out and then even sometimes help the carpenters form it up and pour it the next day. Um, really cool to see that full cycle and kind of see if you, like that taught me ownership and that's a big part of what we do in construction is responsibility and ownership. Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not willing to put your name behind something then don't do it. And I think it's, it's a lot of industries you can maybe get away with it or, you know, sit behind a computer and send emails. But if it's a big money item that your name's on or it's an issue in the field that you laid out and signed off on, it, it's another level of, I really don't want to mess this up and having pride in your work. So, so yeah, yeah that's, that what a great opportunity and experience you had. I love I love the yeah. one the point that you said if you you know if you don't want to put your name on it then then don't do it. And I yeah. heard a, it was a car it was a carpenter actually it was a, a, a big time framer. I think it was on YouTube where I heard it. But one thing that he said and it, it stuck with me ever since I heard that. And he said your work is your signature. Yeah. And you know that's just something I've it's just been rattling around in my brain for ever since I heard it. And it's just something I try to apply and and as is now I know now I know that you apply that as well based on what mm -hmm. what you just said. 
Yeah. Uh, Nick, I, I want to get into in, – in a second, I want to get into kind of how you think, like, the construction industry doesn't do a very good job of, of explaining itself to students because I know a lot yeah. of high school students don't. As, and as you told us, you know, before we, we got on here that you didn't know what you wanted to do. You didn't know mm-hmm. that the GCs built buildings. You thought engineers built buildings, you know, and they do, but they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't build buildings Mm-mm. physically from the ground up like – Right. GCs, superintendents, project managers, et cetera, et cetera, do. But real quick, as you mentioned, I wanted to go way back to where you 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 brought up that you had a a handyman service in college. So yeah, gloss over that. But tell us a little bit about that. That's pretty. That's pretty cool stuff, right there. You ready for the name? Oh yeah, I want to hear it. It's called Nick's Fix. Oh man, <laughs> that is awesome. That's fantastic. I still haven't trademarked it yet, and I could kick myself in the butt. It's on my thing. It's my, it's been on my to do list for about ten years. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's that that's a catchy name too, and that's all business, especially handyman. Golly, know, well, know, put that on your truck. To, it's so hard to make a living with it. That's the problem. Is yeah. if, if you really want to like make it a company, you need to manage people who are handymen, and then right. go around and babysit all their work to make sure it's done right. Um, but no, I mean, it was, it was really cool. So I, I grew up, you know, 13, 14 years old, pouring concrete in the back, building ponds for neighbors. And it was, you know, sign a napkin. Here's the material I need. Go buy it or I'll pick it up, but give me the cash to go buy it. You know, like no contracts really. Trust system. Um, yeah. And I, I got burned a couple of times on stuff like I that. Believe it. There's some stories with that too, but overall I had some pretty great clients that were trustworthy and, and I, you know, it was interesting to work directly. So what we do big scale construction, right? You're, you're another step in the client's end goal of having a building that they're going to use and occupy, right? For whatever their intention is. But with owning something and doing something that small is you're working with the client, you're pursuing the client, you're starting from conceptual design and what their want is and what their issues are, and then creating a solution to those issues. So whether it's, changing the patio in the back and moving the stairs in a location because they like going out to see the birds or, you know, as, as simple as it might seem, truly listening to a client and figuring out what they want and making the client first is the biggest thing that I learned out of that. And it's, it's, it's not even worth making money, right? Cause if you do the right job, even if you lose 10% on a job, you, your word of mouth. And like you said, putting your name as your your work as your signature that one job will get you 10 calls within a month from people that visit the house and say, who did your work? Right. And it's no different in a $200 million job or a $5,000, you know, piece of equipment you put in, in a, in an existing building. Um, it only takes, it, it only takes one thing. And like you said, a lot of what we do is word of mouth. Right. So um, that's probably why the industry is so bad at communicating to the outside of the industry, because we all talk to each other. Right. People that need buildings talk and people that don't, you know, don't know about it. Um, but yeah, honestly, learning to work for the client and putting the client first is was the biggest thing I learned. Um, and, and then going the extra step, no matter no matter if you're going to lose money, you still have to build the job right um, and put the client first. And I, I think that's actually one of our core values with J.E. Dunn. It's one of our main ones is, is being client oriented and client focused and the client experience. I mean, our clients do a massive survey. Most GCs ask for that. But. We do surveys like quarterly with our, of our, with our owners to make sure that they're happy. If they're not happy, then no one's going to be happy. Wow, that's awesome, Nick. Yeah. Uh, I think I really like the point how you said you know, you're listening to your client. I feel like 
that's a lost art in today's world. And one of the most important things, you know, for me is to listen, learn, and you lead with questions. And if you can do those three things, people will be blown away about how you communicate. So just shifting here, talking about communication, uh, what do you think or how do you think that plays into being a superintendent? To me, in my opinion, I think the superintendent has to be able to communicate to all walks of life from an owner all the way down to your labor. So just talk about that for a second. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to write down what you just said, because that that's awesome. That's a good takeaway. What was it? Listen, learn, and ask and lead with questions. Yeah, that's not mine. You're going to have to thank my aunt for that. But oh, yeah, I, I, wrote, I wrote that down last <laughs> week. I that one. I'm writing it down. I'm going to apply that to my everyday. Seriously, that's all. And that's so true. I mean, uh, and, and I kind of made some notes just to, to talk about stuff on this meeting. But one of the things I kind of addressed or, or wanted to bring up is that the biggest, there's like three or four things that a superintendent does and is really responsible for, right? It's quality, safety. Um, let's see, I wrote down two more. Hold on. Um, where did I write them? Quality, safety, schedule. So those three, right? And the fourth one is relationships for me. So if you have good quality, good schedule, good, you know, safety or quality safety schedule, right? But you burn every bridge to get there, then what's the next job going to look like when you're working with the same project managers in the same form and the same superintendents from all your trade partners, you know, that's good. It, it's a big one. And it's every single day of answering the call with the guy that's complaining about someone being in his way and not just saying, Hey, shut it. You already <laughs> talked to the guy. I don't want to hear about it. You know, a lot of, a lot of our work is babysitting and it, it kind of, it can get frustrating, it can be very frustrating. And whether you're a PM or a superintendent, you know, asking people for their proposals and, Hey, did you fill out the DCIP information? Hey, have you given me your number yet for the change order for the new pricing that needs to be due tomorrow, right? Like, oh, I forgot. that That's the story, and it will always be the story of what we manage. Um, but if you don't do that gracefully and you don't listen to why, why they're not getting it to you, then you're not reaching the real issues and resolving them, right? You're just kind of – it. The, the typical superintendent's a bully, right? I mean, look at old school and kind of tough neck guys, but that's not that's not how my company operates, and that's not how a lot of companies are shifting towards is is that that old school mentality of managing and and you know beating beating results out of someone. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, yeah, and it, it goes a lot further to show someone respect and say, "Hey, I know you've got your issues. I've got my issues. How can we reach a common goal and resolve this?" So. Um, managing those relationships is the most important thing to me. And like you said, listening and then learning from what they have because, you know, those guys that are older than us and the other trades, I, I go out every day and I say, hey, what are you working on? You know, what are you doing? And I've seen a guy install, you know, sprinkled mains 50 times, right? And, you know, mm. tighten everything up and, and, you know, do pressure testing and everything and have to witness it. But to see a guy go and, you know, drill his inserts in, you know, hang everything, shoot his elevations, how he's checking them against the BIM model, whatever. I'll still go up and say, hey, how are you doing that? How are you reaming that pipe? What, you know, what are you doing that for? And just, you see the guys light up of like, oh, this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. And they take, people have so much pride in what they do and it becomes mundane, you know, even as a PM, even as an estimator. It's the same thing as being a superintendent. If a PM comes and asks me and says, hey, let's go walk the site. I want to see what you're doing or what the job's like. 
it tickles me to death that I get to go show him what's going on and what I'm seeing in two weeks. Just like I want to know from him, hey, what are you forecasting in two weeks? How's our budget looking for miscellaneous stuff? You know, do we need to stop eating out? Do we not have any miscellaneous expense money left for for covering some team meetings? So like, what do we need? What do you need? And and I know they get excited about explaining that. So listening and learning, man, that's big. It's yeah. so cool. And if I can, if I can here, Walker, I, um, I just love that quality, safety, schedule, relationships. It's something, you know, I had to learn from internship experience was the relationships. Yeah. I would probably be good at the other three, but that fourth one, relationships is something, you know, I wasn't good at. I was a hothead. So I'm just being honest with you. So you start to realize you, you have to work on yourself to figure out that last one. Yeah. You know, yeah like if you want to leave a legs yeah, and you want to be a decent manager, you got to figure out what you can't, you can't take your frustrations out of work. Just like you can't bring your frustrations home to your wife and kids right. and your parents, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you know uh, or listen to John Maxwell, but John Maxwell talks about leadership and what leadership comes down to is influence. And for influence, how do you do that? You, you have great relationships. And so yeah. I think in industry, any walk of life, doesn't matter who you are, if you have great relationships, you're going to be successful. Exactly. So true. And I think we read wasn't that a book in college we had to read for one of the leadership courses. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's where I got that from. I don't know. <laughs> I had to take a course. I think there was a John Maxwell book I had to read. So there you go. He's a good guy to read about. Yeah, I, I love you. You said a lot of great things just then. So I'm trying to yeah. like keep track of the ones I want to <laughs> I want to ask about. You know, one thing I think is, is very true, especially about the relationship aspect is, you know, I think there is what's really hard is that there's a, a fine line between keeping relationships with everyone on the job and being friendly and being, you know, buddies with them, but also keeping it to the point of where they're not going to take advantage of you because they yeah. think that you're, you know, you're, you're, they're your best friend, you know, and like yeah. you might be, but there's that respect aspect, especially on a construction site that is, is such a incredibly fine line to, to walk, you know? And so in your yeah. experience, how have you had to balance that by saying, getting on to a guy saying, Hey man, like you got to get this to me now. You know, you, you told me for yeah. three weeks that so you're going to do it. I, I got to have it now. Or, yeah. You know, hey, yeah, that's fine. Take another week. Like give it to me when you can. You know? Yeah. You're asking me questions that usually you don't learn until about two years into your career. Uh, honestly, you guys are asking some good questions. So with that, uh, that's a daily struggle. You know, because you don't want to be a bullnose, hard superintendent that's barking and yelling. You got to do this and I need that. And there's nothing more rewarding, too, when you walk in the office and, you know, out of all the people in the office, the guys that come in, the foreman or the superintendent's like, Nick, what's up, man? You know, like, don't talk to anyone else. And they're, they they resonate with you. Right. And I, I got some guys in my job like that right now. And I've been that guy, you know, where everyone everyone knows your name, you, you know, and it. Don't get me wrong. The first thing I want to talk about with the guys in the field is how are your wife and kids? You know, how many kids do you have? You know, what's their favorite subject in school? What are you getting them for Christmas? You know, what does your home life look like? And just like resonate with the guys. You never know. Some guys really are going through a lot of stuff. Women, too. I mean, it it we're in trying times right now. And some guys are living. A lot of guys live paycheck to paycheck. And and, you know, there's a fine line. I mean, literally one guy gets injured. And safety is so important to me because. I don't want someone's family getting impacted by something as minuscule as spraining an ankle, right? Um, and having food on the table being that being in question. So you really do. You, you have to build those relationships, and and it 
that's why I got in the industry was to try to, you know, love people and try to, you know, change lives in some positive way of, of you know, helping people out when I get in a power a position of power, a position of, of, you know, leadership that I'm able to give people opportunities that I wasn't for. Um, but years, it's such a fine line. I mean, you really said it, Walker. I, you know, it, it happens every single day. You'll have a guy that gets on site and the first week of trades on site, their superintendent will kind of play dumb and kind of just, Oh, I didn't know our safety guidelines said we had to wear gloves hundred percent. We'll get right on that. You know, but if you don't say anything, they won't do it. And it's the same thing with, you know, we're putting CMU walls in right now. And if I, if I don't go back and say, Hey, these are exposed walls that are going to be painted in three weeks. They need to be rubbed down. All the sleeves need to be patched up. Any, any burrs, anything, the caulk joints are going to be exposed. So they need to be cleaned out. So there's not any of this in between the block going down. But if I didn't mention that stuff, do you really think you would go back and could pay attention to all those details? The answer is no. You know, and I've had people, you know, oh, well, super, you know, they won't care about that. The paint will cover it up. And, oh, well, the spe- I read the specs and they don't specifically say I have to do X, Y, and Z or I've always done it this way. And it's like, well, um, buddy, we're cool, but you're going to do this. And we'll we'll talk to, I would rather handle it in the field and as men than bring it up somewhere else and go above your head because I don't want to do that, right? So help me help you. Let's both, right. let's get you out of here, get your work done, and let's set the precedent of quality and safety from the start. So I've found that to be the case. If you give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. Right? Yeah. That, That's know, anything in life. That's one thing I heard. I heard this a couple, I guess a couple months ago as well. I learned a lot over the time of being at home and having to listen to a lot of different things. But, you know, one thing that one thing that really stuck to me and with human nature, guys, especially, you know, if yeah. we don't have to, we won't. Yeah, so, that's so true. We're going to yeah. take. The, yeah, exactly. Path of least resistance to get to yeah. where ah, that like I need to do that. I don't really want to do that, though. Yeah, unless, just one time. I'll worry about it next week. You know, exactly. Yeah. Unless you specifically yeah. go out there and tell you. And like you said earlier, sometimes construction is babysitting. I mean, yeah. it's making sure. Hey, did you get this done? Is this done? Is this done? Show me. You know, like, come on, let's keep the ball rolling. Yeah. And I, I think the the one thing I want to be remembered for, like there's a legacy you leave as a manager and a leader. But the one thing I do, I tell myself often is firm but fair. Right. We'll be friends. We'll hang out. But at some point you have to be firm and sometimes you have to be fair of like, you know what? I did mess up and I owe you this. And whether that's money or that's me giving you labor to help you do something that I directed you on, which was incorrect. Or, you know, I mean, whatever, and me signing a ticket for someone else messing them up, it, it, even if it looks, even if it's, you know, kind of rubbing my nose in, in something that doesn't shine, you know, it, it at some point, you got to own up what you do. So I expect them to own up to me, and I'm going to own up to whatever I mess up. So firm but fair, and it applies to everything. Yeah, that's awesome, Nick. Yeah. I know from a previous conversation we've had, we talked about, how do you want to be remembered as a superintendent? Could you maybe go over some of those things that you know, you've probably heard from a different mentor, what those categories look like? Yeah, no, that's big. And it isn't just sayings too, it's actions. And that's the, that's the big thing there is, you know, how do you, you really have to take a second and get out of your own head and your perspective um, of how you see things and realize, oh, how does the company see things? How does the company see me? How do my peers see me? How does the owner see me? How do the other trades see me, right? So 
you, there's a lot of dynamic there. I'm managing people and a lot of people are managing me, whether it's with money or it's with quality or safety or, you know, whatever they have invested in me and what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, it just depends. Like I've, on my first job, I had a superintendent name was Tom and he kind of took over, um, about halfway through the job because things were kind of rough. So we switched management on the job and, and I'll always forget instead of doing a morning meeting, with, with our, with our, we do a morning meeting at 7am with all the foremen, everyone on site to go over the day's task for 15, 20 minutes. But every day at four o'clock before the job was over, before we went home, we would have an internal meeting with our crews and our leadership, our field leadership. And he would walk the site for an hour every single day before that meeting. And he wouldn't come in there and say, Hey, we have to do this. You did this wrong, whatever. He let the whole room go around, listen to what we'd say, because we would say half the things he observed that needed to happen the next day. But he would just, I'd just see him on site and he'd just be sitting there with his hands behind his back, just walking around looking, you know, not on the phone, not texting, just, you know, just whatever, or or calling people to resolve stuff. He was just observing. And every couple of minutes, he'd take his notepad out and just make a note, you know, and it it really, it kind of hits you as you start learning some of this stuff and gaining wisdom is that. You know, he took the time to look ahead at, hey, what's going there in three months? And if you don't make that space to look and just observe on site and build the building in your head, and you're never going to find those things on the front. You're never going to find clashes and, and that stuff until you get to it. And it's really too late because you're waiting on an answer and then something to be prepared eventually. Right. So that was a big one was if you're going to lead by, you know, if you're going to lead and, and, and ask these people to do work. You better, you know, know what you're talking about and have walked it yourself and have and be prepared for those conversations. Don't just expect people to know and look at those things themselves because they're not going to. Um, and that that really hit me because, you know, he's ha- he's in a lot of higher level meetings, managing risk, managing budget. But instead, he's out there looking at the details, right? Not managing the details, but looking ahead at them. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one example, though. I mean, it, there's not really a way. I think you find what you're good at and then you really try to, you know, set the bar high. Um, another superintendent, you know, it's funny. I used to get really stressed at work. I, I had some jobs some weeks where I was working 80, 100 hours a week, working 36 hour shifts, you know, had to get something done for a turnover day for an inspection. No one else could do it. So I'm working, working overnight to get fireproofing done. And the next day managing the work because no one else knew what I had scheduled. And you do that about five or six times in two months and it, it wears you down. It does. Um, yeah, but I, but I had a superintendent, my last job, he's my superintendent on this job. His name's Ken. And he actually, (laughs) I told you we were talking about stress and stuff. He's like, yeah, I had some panic attacks and I was about 30, 35, about your age. And he's the most level-headed guy you ever met. Never would have guessed it. Like I used to blow off at people, you know, bulldog barking around and, He's like, it took me having health issues and, you know, psychiatrists, whatever, to realize that, hey, I don't need this amount of stress in my life. And what he kind of told me was, hey, believe it or not, meditate in the morning and get your head straight so that none of this dictates who you are. And at the end of the day, there's always work to be done in construction and it can wait till tomorrow. So, you know, instead of staying till 730 at night to send your one email to get an answer. You really think at 7 a.m. the next person is going to read the email and respond in 20 minutes? You know, if you really think about it, that email could wait till 7 a.m. and then you get on the call and get an answer an hour later, right? So, what's it worth instead of doing that and killing yourself and going home and doing nothing? 
and going to bed, going out and getting a beer with the guys or going home to your wife and kids an hour early and spending some time with them. So yeah. um, really learn to just the work and wait for work, wait for tomorrow. And there's always something to do. So it's, yeah, those are the two big ones. I think that's a big problem, especially nowadays. Is just people pride themselves in overworking. You know, it's like, oh, I worked this many hours, or I got up this and did this. You know, and they kind of wear it as a as a badge of honor. And it's and it's yeah. just, that part is it's not. Yeah, you know, but that's what society's made it made that become. It's like, well, and that's what the college education is too. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's what we were taught: is the harder you study and the more you work, the better you know, better salary you're going to get and you know, the more rewarded you're going to be with a better grade. And although that's true, right? Like that worth that work ethic, if you don't have it, you're not going to last long, right? Like you have to commit to dates and realize that sometimes you're going to have a crappy day or a crappy week and just suck it up. But there's a time and a place for it, right? It's not every day, every week, every month. And I think companies sometimes have a hard time. It, you have to find the right company that understands that too. You know, it's just because you're getting five grand more a year as a traveling superintendent. Some companies expect that, right? right. They put you alone on a job and you don't have staff to help cover some of those hours. And you're the one stuck where, you know, you're working 100 hours a week and it doesn't last long. Yeah, you get five grand, but you're working, you know, next year, mm-hmm. 20 hours. But Even if it's 10 or 15 grand, is it worth getting a divorce? You know, the divorce yeah. rate for yeah. superintendents no, has always been high. So how do you, you know, at some point, personal life, and I think companies are coming back around to that is, you know, putting personal life and, and family first and the rest figures itself out. Yeah, I, yeah. exactly. But yeah. Nick, I, I hate that a year on a roll. I love it, but we're, yeah. we're, we're getting down to the, to the end of time. <laughs> before we, before we leave, I seriously, you have like all this stuff. Uh, seriously, thanks. Down y'all like y'all ask me some questions. I'm pretty passionate about. So. I've been writing down like crazy. A ton of things. <laughs> to say. Like, I've learned, I'm going to go back and listen to this. I've learned so much. But one thing I, I just want to make sure we cover before we go, yeah. you know, it, it's just especially uh, for the younger generation coming up yeah. in construction, you know, high school, uh, middle school, you name it. Even people who maybe didn't go to college, but yeah. they want a career change or they want something that they can, you know, have change their life. And construction is one yeah. of those I, I firmly believe, you know, yeah, and so I agree. As someone who's been in the industry and, and someone who's kind of seen a lot, you know, a lot more than than most people have uh, in terms of life relationships, people, et cetera. What do you think is a good start or a good, uh, if, if you had to tell a high school student about construction or try to yeah. convince them that, hey, man, there's something else you can do with your life. That, you know, you can, you can take a different track. You don't have to not go to college. You don't have to you know, pick a job somewhere, working minimum wage and, you yeah. know, and doing that for the rest of your life where you could go and make 50, 60, 70, 80,000 plus a year being a trade or, or, you know, being a super or project manager or pre-con or you name it. What do you, what would you tell them? What do you think is the biggest piece of advice to give them going forward in their life? Yeah. Well, I mean, so there's two parts to that, right? One would be my idea of a sales pitch to them, right? And the second would be lesson to someone or lesson learned to someone who realizes they do want to do this. Um, as far as the sales pitch goes, I mean, think about another career where you get to see the fruition of your work directly. You're, you're doing something from, from concept, concept, right? And the office pursuing it all the way up to a building being turned over and seeing an owner and their patients like a hospital or seeing a 
stadium be used for the first time. There's no better reward than that is actually seeing your work enjoyed by somebody else. And they, a lot of times people don't understand the built environment. They don't appreciate it like we do. You know, I'm going around looking at all the lights to see if they're symmetrical and you find the one that's off in the corner and it bugs the crap out of you. Right. Dude, I do that everywhere I go. No one, and it's the most annoying thing. No one appreciates it, but to, to have pride and like, I saw that and you know what, these people are going to enjoy it and never know the amount of work that went into it. It's the most humbling thing. And to see, like, it makes appreciation for everything else we have in this world. You spend, what, 90 or 95% of your time in the built environment as a human? People don't think about that. Um, but there's literally, you could talk to a guy that isn't going to college, say, hey, there's a career for you. Foreman, carpenter, you know, uh, rod buster, you could do concrete, you could do electrical, you could do plumbing, mechanical, anything you think of. You could say, hey, go to college, become a superintendent, PM, estimator. You know, you like financials, estimating, pre-construction. Um, but that, that's the thing is that all these offices, all these companies have an office, right? That's what people forget. So my girlfriend's actually a lawyer, right? And I've joked around a couple of times like, hey, we have plenty of legal counsels that work in my office at corporate. And even in my regional office in Atlanta and probably Nashville has a counselor too. There's people that have to read contracts, sign those things, get them out. Marketing, you know, graphic designers. You got people that do BIM coordination, so it's heavy on the software and, and being in, you know, uh, CAD uh, and Autodesk. Um, there's so many careers. I, I honestly, very few. I mean, even healthcare, you could find a career as a first aid, you know, person or someone that manages safety um, uh, in construction. It's directly applicable. So I really do think it's one of the most versatile markets and industries that's that's out there, period. And it baffles me that people don't know more about it. I mean, you could do three quarters business development. You could be, right? Anything you could do, you could really find a niche in construction. So the question is, how do you get that information to them? And again, that's why I circle back to you guys are doing an awesome thing. Like really. Um, and as far as if I knew someone was going into the industry, um, honestly, there's, there's the, the world, the, you work hard, there's infinite possibility for you in construction. Like you could do healthcare, you could specialize, you could be general, you could build dollar generals, you could build stadiums, you could build skyscrapers, you could do civil work, build dams and roads and bridges. You could, you know, specialize in data centers and healthcare and, uh, you know, data centers and like heavy industrial, like warehouses and manufacturing. There's, there's so many different niches you can do that, that if you don't like one job, it's over in two or two and a half years max, you know, whereas a lot of other career opportunities, can you really say that, you know, can you really say that you have a fresh start every one to four years, right. Of doing something new, trying something different. If you don't like it, you're not stuck. You're stuck there for a couple of years. So I don't know if I would have known that I would have been, I would have, I found it out a year in, but I, I had no idea it was going to be this amazing. I really did. Yeah. The possibilities in construction. Yeah. absolutely endless you know yeah. just you talked about you know just what types of construction you want to do you, you yeah. can you can learn everything in the book and still have something to learn every day then you know you talk about a different career path so this is the concept and the idea of laying foundations of that walker and i had is that you know how do you get people to realize the misconception about construction is just like this talking to a great guy from jay dunn a guy that works hard is a great person that's willing to spend time with us today. And Nick, I just can't thank you enough for willing to take time out of your day to talk to us, man. Yeah, no, I'm 
humbled to even be asked for it. So looking forward to talking again, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, Nick, thank you so much for being on yeah. the Laying Foundations podcast, dude. We, for sure, are going to bring you back. Our okay. goal is to kind awesome. of check back in, you know, yeah. later down the road on people that we've, we've interviewed. And you, yeah. uh, I'm serious, I have a page and two pages of stuff that you just said <laughs> that I've just been writing. I've just been trying to keep track of it, all the, all the awesome. wisdom coming out. Uh, but again, man, thank you so much, Nick, for being on Laying Foundations podcast. Uh, this is your co-hosts, Walker Lodge and Davis Hambrick. Uh, we will see you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. Thanks for joining us for the Laying Foundations podcast. I'm your co-host, Walker Lott, here with my co-host, Davis Hambrick. We really appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, we look forward to many more episodes we have planned for you. Look for us every Monday. We have an episode coming out. We're also working very diligently to get our social media accounts as well as our webpage up so you can learn a little bit more about us and follow us as we go along this journey. 